Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. I'm Eddie Gibbs and welcome once again to Off The Wall, the podcast here on Anfield Index, where we like to give you a small flavour of some of the content available over on the paywall side of our channel at Anfield Index Pro. So with the shortest of pre-seasons imaginable now underway, it won't be long until our champions begin their attack, as Jurgen Klopp so eloquently put it, on retaining their Premier League title. Before that though, there's a small matter of the Community Shield with Arsenal and in uh, no time our usual pre- and post-match schedules uh, on the podcast will return. For anyone that isn't aware, that means regular podcasts with Liverpool legends, including Sir Kenny Dalglish and Jan Mulby. It means journalists like James Pearce, Neil Jones, Jonathan Northcroft, Gab Marcotti and Mo Chatra. It means previews uh, from Harry Setti, Guy Drinkle, Dave Hendrick and Carl Matcher. It means instant post-match reaction hosted by Trev Downey and Nina Kauser. And of course, probably most importantly of all, it means expert analysis and statistics from the likes of Dan Kennett, Dan Rhodes, Simon Brundish and Gags Tandon. Now, given that powers of B have deemed the international break was needed uh, before we can get the Premier League going again, it's going to be the 12th of September until the serious stuff gets underway. And this seemed like an ideal opportunity to use this platform to revel in the glory of 19 a little bit more. Uh, And with that in mind, we're going to bring you part one of our new documentary series. It's called A League of Our Own. It's expertly produced by Dan Rhodes, who spent many hours, too many hours actually, that I did to think about re-listening to every show on Anfield Index Pro uh, from last season. The show is wonderfully narrated by the actor Mark Morahan, and we've uh, had some incredible feedback on this series, and I'm sure once you've had a listen, you'll agree it's an absolute acoustic delight uh, for any Liverpool fan. The series tells a definitive story of the season like no other, and we're going to let you listen to episode one in its full glory here today on Off The Wall. If you subscribe to AI Pro already, then you'll have listened, no doubt, to parts one, two, and three, and part four will be winging its way down the wires to you very shortly, uh, Dan assures me. Now, before we let Mark loose on your ears, I wanted to share with you some of the superb content we've released on our AI Pro over the past few days. First up, there's Legends Lowdown. Jan Molby, who does a, a regular weekly show for us during the season, is still on holiday, and that gave us the opportunity uh, last week to speak to uh, Mark Lawrence and uh, Trev Downey uh, joined Mark for that. And this week, uh, Steve McMahon was on. Uh, Trev was away this week, so uh, Steve was joined uh, by Jim Boardman to, to pose the questions uh, to Liverpool's uh, former number 11. And uh, they discuss exactly how Liverpool should go about their Premier League title defence and uh, how to avoid some of the mistakes, shall we say, that 
uh, brought the end to, to the last golden era. So uh, so it's well worth a listen. I listened to it this morning. Thoroughly enjoyed that one. It's always good to hear uh, hear from Steve McMahon on the channel. The AI scouted now Carl Matchett and Dave Hendrick, who have been prolific uh, since the end of last uh, season, really in the lockdown period uh, with their podcast. They've switched away from any direct chat on Liverpool this week, and they took a deep dive on the mess at Barcelona and how the uh, Catalan giant should look to rebuild as the, the Messi era winds down. I've not had a chance to listen to that one myself. So that's... That is next on my uh, my hit list. I want to hear what those guys have to say about that. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Now, our resident sports scientist, Simon Brundish, has also been a, a busy boy on his Fatigue Index podcast of late. And his most recent podcast looks at the release of the Premier League fixtures and how he is convinced more than ever that it'll be Liverpool's year once again. It certainly uh, filled me with excitement listening to uh, the scientific approach to all things uh, all things Liverpool and the fixtures. In addition to that, uh, we've also recently re- released uh, a season review podcast. There's two. There's the Under Pressure guys, who give the real... Uh, real statistical analysis on their uh, season review and the rate don't hate guys uh, have also done a season review they're the guys that rate our players uh, they look at the numbers that have been rated across different media outlets and from our subscribers from one to ten for each player and they've, they've also done a season review so I've still got that one to listen to as well I'm a bit behind this week I have listened to part one of the under pressure one and I think both of those guys will bring you part two of their season reviews on AI Pro in the next week or so I'd also like to give a quick shout to our sister service at EPLindex.com. Dave Hendrick uh, has started a new daily drive time podcast, uh, which he hopes to release every weekday around 4pm UK time to tie up with uh, with most people's commute. Uh, we're sure uh, as COVID uh, continues, uh, more and more people will be getting back to work and hopefully on the commute. So that's a little companion that Dave's uh, producing around 4pm uh, UK time every day. It's called the Two-Footed Podcast and it's offered completely free with a focus on all the goings-on within the Premier League. The first couple of episodes are out now and you can find them by searching on your favourite podcast device by just typing in EPL Index. Uh, this new show will also be available on the uh, non-LFC section of the Anfield Index apps for both iOS and Android but please give us a few days uh, Gags is just speaking to the app developers and getting that implemented so uh, for now please just refer to your uh, native podcast apps and search for EPL Index to, to listen to Dave's uh, intro shows of the uh, the two-footed podcast. Now to enjoy all the fantastic content we offer on AI Pro you can listen to everything we've ever produced on that channel absolutely free for seven days. All you have to do is head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and sign up. The process only takes a few seconds. There is zero obligation to continue after the trial period and you can cancel at any point. If you decide to stick around, and of course we hope you will given uh, everything I've just said about what's to uh, come in the season ahead, then the cost is only £4.99 per month or £39.99 per year. Some fantastic value for the amount of audio content that uh, will wing its way to you. Now we'd love your feedback on any of the shows we do on Anfield Index or Anfield Index Pro and the best way to do that is to join our free Discord community. It's a thriving community of Liverpool fans underpinned by healthy opinion and debate. It's very busy just now, obviously, with the uh, with all the transfer rumours and all the talk, the Thiago Alcantara staff, the uh, Ginny Wijnaldum staff. Uh, there's so much chat and debate going on there, so it really is worth your while uh, to, to sign up to our Discord community. Completely free to join anfieldindex.com forward slash Discord, which is D-I-S-C-O-R-D. Alternatively, just give us your feedback on the usual socials we're on facebook just search for anfield index or of course on twitter we're at anfield index or at anfield index pro so without further delay here it is uh episode one of a league of our own documentary series
disappointment uh, from Arsenal last year? You go over a disappointment quickly enough. Obviously, uh, last year you can never uh, raise it from the record books, but they got so close <laughs> last year to, to winning a double for the second time in, in almost three or four years. And they've done it again this year. And the consistency is undisputed. The performances uh, throughout the whole season have been uh, as good as anybody else's and, and better than most. That's why they've won it. And as a team and as a squad of players, you find the difficulty better. The 2018-19 season ended on the most incredible of highs. Liverpool beat Tottenham to secure their sixth European Cup on the 1st of June in Madrid. And the BBC reported over 750,000 turned up for the victory parade around the streets of the city. It was a perfect tonic to the heartbreak of finishing the Premier League season on a record-breaking 97 points, but ultimately second-best to Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. The league title seemed out of reach. As the summer wore on, the lack of transfer activity seemed to be making sections of the fan base anxious. And yet, with the fume reaching peak levels, Gags Tandon flew out to America for the pre-season tour and spotted a familiar-looking face on the plane. Um... And then all of a sudden, I just see him walk past on the left. It was, it was definitely Michael Edwards. I was like, is it? He wasn't wearing his glasses. So I was like, you know, all the famous picture that we've got of him. I just thought, that, that, is that him? He must be wearing New Balance as well. And she just said, uh, and I just said, you know, is that was that Michael Edwards that was just speaking to you? And she goes, yes, yes, that's, um, that's my husband. And I was like, oh, bloody hell. Okay, okay, that's great. Um, I just, um, I was wondering if you could... If you could um, ask him, if you could give me five minutes, I just want to thank him for the wonderful work he's done with Liverpool. And she had this big beaming smile on her face and she was just like, he'd love that. He'd really, really love that. I just said, uh, thank you very much, you know. I'm, I'm uh, Gags from Anfield Index. And he goes, oh, Anfield Index. And, you know, he'd heard of it before because he's had uh, interactions with some like Harinda Baji. And Baji's asked him before as well, does he know the UP guys? You know, I'm sure there's, I think, inter other interactions with uh, contributors as well on the site before. Uh, so, um, you know, he, he knew of AI prior to it. And it was when I said, oh, you know, uh, I collect the... So we, we just uh, discussed... Firstly, I just thanked him. Let's, let's, be, let's be honest. I just said, you know, I just wanted five minutes to say thank you, you know, because I think you guys, have, you and your team have done a magnificent job and uh, you've turned the club around. You know, from where we were seven, eight years ago with the Hodgson era and the owners prior to this, you know, to to where we are now, we're, we're pretty much one of the best-run clubs, maybe even the best-run club in in world football. And you know, I have to, I have, you know, as as a as a as a fan of thirty-five years of this club, it's been a lot of pain, and and I think this is one of the best parts. This is this is one of the best phases in terms of confidence in a team. I think I've ever since the 80s, you know, early 90s. And, and I just said that's down to every single person in the club, not just the manager and the players, but you guys for what you've built too. And I shook his hand again and I said, thank you. And he was like, oh, no, no, no. You know, don't, not, don't thank me. It's all Jürgen and the boys, you know. And, the, you know, he was he was so humble. The plans are the, they, they, they plan meticulously at the club. And um, I trust I trust the process, you know. I trust the process. I can't say more than that. That's, so all I can say is what I got from the conversations is that when I spoke to him, he felt like we're far behind. Even though there's some of the stuff we're doing, no one's doing, but still the other stuff, there's other stuff that we don't see, that we don't do, that 
they've gone way ahead with. And obviously that makes sense because of the players, how they're pinging off these players and signing them. So it was really eye-opening and really interesting to me to, to, to find stuff like that out. And On the WhatsApp group, you said, I've just spoken to Edwards, now speaking to Dave Fowler, I'm like, is Gags dreaming here or is this uh, is this even real? And I'm starting to wonder if you're just stringing me along here. But uh, you then say so you get to speak to him and uh, then you went silent for another 10 minutes. I guess you were engrossed in uh, in conversation with him from that point. So before that, I, I met them in baggage claim, thanked him again. And, uh, and Mike just said to me, um, remember, it's a secret. And I said, no chance. Everyone knows now that you, you're alive. You're not a mirage. And he did him and his wife, his wife especially, just burst out laughing. And we try to, to create a situation where everything around is perfect. And uh, if the manager changes in the future, then it's, this, this club is still on really, on, on, have a good base. And for this, you need the right people in the right position. And Michael Edwards is, um, is in this club since five years, I think. Did different jobs, knows everything about it, was involved in big decisions, and um, will be involved in big decisions. But at the end, of course, there's one thing where the manager needs the final say. That's when, do we take him or not? Part of understanding modern-day recruitment at a football club requires in-depth knowledge about the finances. Thankfully, on AI Pro, we have qualified accountant Mo Chatra to translate the finer details into layman's terms. In my thread, I said that the club has to be very careful with how it manages its money. And if there's one thing we know about FSG, it is that they are very careful in how the finances of the club are managed because we, we saw it you know, only eight, nine years ago when the finances are not managed properly we were on our knees. We had Hodgson as our manager. Um, we were racking up massive losses. We were in a really sorry state. And we don't want to go back there again. So it's the right thing to do to be careful with what our, our financial position is. And so that's why I think all of these different factors combined together help to explain why we haven't gone out and spent another you know, £150 million. Pounds. Like the, the recruitment is not just single people it's oh. now grown to multiple people in multiple teams so yeah it's they've they've just reinvented recruitment they've reinvented player recruit it's nuts you know we've got literal geniuses involved in making decisions around recruitment at our club um and, and they've got a model that very clearly works and it's the model that's the envy of world football I think we are in a position now where we are retaining players. We, I mean, we've gone pretty much this entire transfer window. None of our key players have been making any noises about wanting to move, have they? For the first, I can't remember, Gags, how long it's been since we had a transfer window where one of our key players wasn't being linked with a move away. Despite the recruitment team being the envy of the footballing world, there were still valid concerns about the squad depth as discussed by the under-pressure guys. If you're playing a 4-3-3, it's 16,000 minutes from the front three. And that's a really important figure to bear in mind because last year, we basically sacrificed... We, we like, well, whether we like to admit it or not, we sacrificed the FA Cup and it had some benefits to us because it freed up blank weekends, didn't it, later on in, in the schedule. Yeah, so literally the weekend we've got off in the in the winter break is the winter is the weekend we've had off in the last previous two seasons because we got knocked out of the FA. So we got no, we got no extra break this and, year. And wasn't a very popular decision to you know because the weekend team against Wolves and going out you know because people say it's a trophy and you know it's important to do well. It's the most important domestic competition in England, a domestic cup in England, and you know a, a lot of the 
the more traditionalists hated us tanking it in the third round again. No so you know, <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. I think the seat, the league season benefited from us not being in the FA Cup. You know, look look at how much we picked up after you know maybe about the first week in March. We we had the, the last two you know, two and a half months of the season. We were at a superb level. Are you suggesting that Edwards and all the staff and Cop have just said this summer, right, boys? We've assessed the minutes that we're expecting out of players. We've assessed which young players we think might come through, which transfers we might be able to get. Let's just gamble. Do you ever think they've... No. No, I mean, what you can do is you can say, well, how can you mitigate this? So what can we do? And then you say, well, how, you know, what, to what level can we mitigate the risk of, of injury? And maybe the mitigation costs are too high. I don't know. Yeah. What can we do? Who can improve on this? Who can bring in? Uh, well, you can bring in. Uh, who can you bring in that's going to do? That's going to do? Be able to do uh, seven thousand minutes of uh, meters of high speed sprints. Who can play twice a week? Who can? Uh, who's creating one point two xg chain hundred? However, they quantify it. But that quality. Hmm. Who can do these quality things? Uh, yes, these three lads. It's going to cost you 100, 100 million for those. Ah, oh, we can't afford that. Can we? We how much you got? Fifty five. Right, for 55, you can get these lads. Well, these lads are squad fillers. Yeah, but once they come in the team, the level is going to drop. And you've got to fit them in, the, in, the, in the tactical setup. So how long is it going to take them to bed in? And you're going to dis- disrupt, disrupt the changing room. Is uh, Andy Robertson going to play five and a half thousand minutes, say? Every season. With with he's just going to inject <laughs> Diane Brew and Rich D. Biscuit. <laughs> I'm not worried about Milner's minutes. Milner can play ten thousand minutes. <laughs> At what speed? He'll run till his eyes bleed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I have no clue in what we're going to do. It's so de- it's, it's dependent on everything. This too much. I'm predicting just like that. Uh, points wise, I will say eighty-eight points. We'll go for so we'll challenge. I don't know if that'll be enough though this year. Uh, gotta hope City, gotta hope other teams have improved enough to take points off City. I think that's the best way to, to hope things happen, really. But yeah, around 88 to 90 points is where I think Liverpool will get in the league and uh, go all the way again in the Champions League. I'm gonna go 86 points in the league, um, and I'm gonna go 25 conceded. Um, probably around um, 80 to 85 scored. And we will win one of the World Club Cup or the uh, European Super Cup. We'll get, we'll get some more silverware there, I think. That's the only silverware you think? Um, at this moment, I, d- I, d- I definitely don't think we'll win the Champions League again um, because it's just it's just so diff- goddamn difficult for anybody to... You know, you know, Real Madrid are the only side in the last 20 years to have retained it, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just don't. The problem is with City is it's it's easier to see them getting a hundred point season than it is to see them getting a ninety point season. That's the problem. Yes. Um, so you know, City. I think City will break ninety five again, and you know, but yeah, eighty six will probably be second. Eighty five goals, twenty eight conceded, ninety points. Yeah. Nice. Okay, so uh, I'm going ninety. 90- Two points, uh, 90 goals. 90 goals and what? How many conceded? 23 conceded. 23. And we are just about set 
to begin the new season. Last Premier League season was exceptional, wasn't it? And this one is about to begin here at Anfield, the home of the European champions. After losing the Community Shield on penalties to rivals Manchester City at Wembley, the Reds hosted the first Premier League match of the season, at home on a Friday night to the newly promoted Norwich City. On the post-match Raw show, Dave Hendrick and Mo Chetra discussed the 4-1 victory. It was just such an odd game. It was like, okay, let's see what you have. Oh, that's what you have. Right, we're just going to score now. And and we'll let you see what you can do. Oh, these are pretty decent, but we're going to score again because we're the champions of Europe and you're the champions of the championship. And there's levels to this shit and we're at a much higher level <laughs> than you are. And that's just how it was for that first half. They would be more dangerous looking, but we would turn half chances into goal. Yeah, it was, it was really good to see um, competitive Liverpool football again. And um, it really amped up Anfield to boot. Uh, the atmosphere around Anfield, certainly for the first, um, well, up until the Norwich goal, in fact, uh, was really good, almost a party-like atmosphere. And I was a bit um, unsure about whether it would be like that because, obviously, there was a lot of moans and groans about lack of activity in the transfer window. And I just wondered if that had maybe taken the shine off of uh, what happened just over two months ago. Um, but no, there's no signs of that amongst the Anfield crowd they, they a lot of them were clearly bevied up a little bit and um, you know, really created a great atmosphere and um, that just added to the occasion and um, you know the start we made um, albeit in second or third gear for pretty much the whole of the first half um, with four goals um, you know just really added to that feel-good factor um, the, the thing was though like it wasn't even like a really whipped the crossover no he had loads of time was, it was a little bit of a half hour sort of just, I'll just put it in the box for the sake of putting it in the box. We might get a corner or a throw in here. And he just couldn't sort his feet out. Like, he literally couldn't sort his feet out. He was dancing all over the place as the ball came across to him. It, it's schoolboy stuff. It really, really is. Like, he should have just been going to meet that and put it back in into the stand. And instead, he puts it into his own net. It's... It, it's it's comical stuff now. From uh, it was it was Lover in one hundred and one, wasn't it, Dave? Yeah, it was. It, it was probably more like a Mustafi kind of thing. Mustafi's yeah. very good at that, getting himself in a mess and bamboozling everybody, including his own goalkeeper. Because like, I just I don't think Tim Krul had any expectation that that's what was going to happen because he didn't react to it at all. It was oh, it's, it's just yeah. the more of them we get this season, the better. Matip and Trent had developed a very good chemistry last season and now Matip's out and Gomez is back in. And this is only a couple of games that Trent and Gomez have played together. So they've still got to find their rhythm again with Henderson. He's not played every game in that role over the last six, eight months. So it's it's new for him as well. But it's something he's really got to focus on. Jordan Henderson is, is covering for his fullback. I'm I'm no fan of Milner, but one thing Milner does very, very well is he helps his fullback, regardless of which side he's on. Jordan Henderson massively needs to up his game in that regard because at least three times today he completely ignored his own runner and by the time we turned the ball he was still twenty yards from where he needed to be. Back on under pressure, Gag Simon and Dan Rhodes reviewed the tactics of both sides, as well as the key stats from the match and the important role of Fabinho. 
Not we didn't we didn't set up formationally different or anything, but but what we were doing in possession and out of possession is different than we were doing for for the most part of last season. Um, if you look at how the, I think it's going to be an ongoing thing. The um, uh, we've kind of progressed to to Pep um, kind of uh, fullback usage. So our fullbacks were taken in rather than going on the outside. The Robbo's heat map um, it kept pressing over towards the halfway line, and he was playing much more of the safety role when the ball was on the far side in a really tucked into the centre circle position um, and going around the outside less than they were. And um, and Divi was... How many touches did Divi have in our box as well? Like the the, the work, work work rate of uh, of our wide players. So Divi was the wide player um, and Van Alden was interacting that... Uh, um, Interacting, interchanging the the uh, safety position with Robbo, who wasn't getting beyond that really. Occasionally running into the box while while the other one sat in that hole, and then um, Hendo was really the wide player on the right hand side and uh, busting the balls. It was good. It came out. How many teams do that? Anfield, sorry, they, we were sick yeah. of talking about low blocks last season. Even Man City didn't push the full backs forward. And then, no. Norwich, then Norwich rock up on the first game of the season and they're going man for man. It was great, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't think it's the best tactic against us, I'll be brutally honest, but it, it makes for a bloody fun game, doesn't it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did it work? Statistically, did it work? It did. We average XG just coming on to the, if you want to come on to the stats ga- uh, gags. Yeah, go for it, dude. Their, their, their average non-pen XG was uh, one. You get that Anfield shots fifteen to twelve, very similar. The the big chance to say is three to one. I would say it was more four two. But the shots on target seven seven to five. It's all excellent. And if you look at the first thirty minutes, they were beating us six three on shots, two shots on target each. But we were winning three nil. Can I just write so you will see hopefully appear now right at the bottom of the sheet, hmm. uh, and I'll put it in Discord as well. This is the heat map, right? Can you see where they ran into fat? Got it, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. It really is. What, this, that red, that red rum on the left? No, no, it's that blue in bit. reverse Fab's heat map. If, oh, if it was right. blue, that could be... This is where Fab plays. Yeah. And then, and then no one else is allowed in this bit. <laughs> <laughs> no Norwich players get through this bit, so... That's brilliant, mate. You're going to have to go on the outside. <laughs> that, is, that is really good. The games were coming thick and fast for Liverpool, this time with a trip to Istanbul for the European Super Cup against Chelsea. Fans were divided on the importance of the trophy, but most agreed about the Reds' poor performance, despite the victory. Dave, um, it's good to be back. It's good to be doing this again. That, however, was awful muck for the most part, but another trophy which makes everything okay in my book. I'll take that. How do you feel about it? Um, I'm, I'm split in many ways, Trev. I, I will point out that I, I generally, generally do not do podcasts for friendlies. And regardless of the name of this game of football that took place tonight, it's a glorified friendly. The only reason I agreed to do it tonight was because you didn't make the Norwich game. So this is your opening for the season. I thought I'd come on and annoy you for the day. Um, <laughs> I'm, I was completely against the whole concept of the game, completely against our important players been run into the ground. But... What I will say is that tonight will will mean more to the likes of Adrian, Harvey Elliott, Sepp van der Berg, Andy Lonergan, 
um, who has now won more trophies in his career than Everton have in the last 24 <laughs> years, without even having to, to, to kick a ball around. Um, it means yeah. so much to them, guys, and you could see how much it meant to Adrian. Um, I mean, above all else, I don't want other English teams, Premier League teams, to be winning European trophies. That's the exclusive domain of Liverpool, as far as I'm concerned. So, especially with us playing a Premier League team today, I, I really wanted to win this. Um, I don't go along with Dave on this one. This was a game that I was happy to come out here for. Extra time aside, I didn't want that. I don't like having that in these sorts of games, but I did want to win. Um, and I think the way that we can see that they've sort of celebrated, like you say, I think it's more or less the right tone. It's not gone over the top. It's not like they've all gone you know, completely crazy and think that they've won the biggest trophy that we've got to win this year. They've had a bit of fun with it. But, you know, you think of those fans who have gone over there for the game, you know, it's probably quite expensive and a lot of time for them and all the rest of it. They don't want to see them just sort of lift the trophy and waft it vaguely in their direction and then clear off either. It's got to be a bit of a celebration because we have just won a trophy. Um, well, I don't want to turn this into a, you know, we should have done X in the transfer market sort of conversation, but I think you're being both of you extremely generous by saying that Wijnaldum wasn't good uh, after he came on. To be honest, I didn't even notice he was on the pitch until extra time. Um, he, he was shocking, to be quite honest with you. Um, I thought the entire midfield for being your side was, was really, really bad with the protection work. Um, and the way that Liverpool play, if that protection work isn't there, and not necessarily actually making the tackles, but turning opposition back around, making them play backwards or go long, and so our defenders can sort of sweep up a little bit easier, if that aggression and that being on the front foot isn't there from the midfield and from the two number eights in particular, we do have a big disconnect because there's no specific link player there in the midfield area. Talk to me a little bit about the impact that that man has on the team because obviously Sadio scores the goal in 47 minutes. Um, Firmino is 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 intricately involved, um, and he goes on to have a massive, massive impact over the next 10, 15 minutes. I love Bobby Firmino. For me, he is the most important player in this team. I mean, I know obviously Allison last year and Van Dijk coming in as had a massive, massive impact. But even with all of those players and even with the other two forwards, I still don't think we win things playing the way that we want to win if we haven't got Firmino. He's that important. Fabinho there to help it on. Roberto Firmino is in. And then it's tucked in by Sadio Mane. Well, Chelsea were appealing for offside, but Sadio Mane didn't wait to find out the answer. Firmino with the instant impact off the bench and Sadio Mane with a Liverpool equaliser. Liverpool won. Chelsea won. I think this just comes down to who reacts quickest. Firmino just anticipates this ball going over the top quicker than anybody else. Front line has come to life already for Firmino. Um, I, I, honestly, I wasn't too bothered about not having a great first half because last season it was quite similar and this season has started this way we've had 45 minutes where we've been pretty good and 45 minutes where we haven't we've been you know fairly dire at times and that's been the case against city um it was definitely the case against norwich and it was a case again here and after we had that quite poor first half i did think that we would come out and play better and especially when bobby comes on um and like you say he, he's come on and within i'd say 15 minutes he is put more into the game, showed more moments of quality and made more things happen for us than anybody else did in that entire first half. Um, he, he was just a cut above. He looks really, really sharp and fit at the moment. Um, you know, Again, the questions for later on, but right now he's, he's really doing the business and 
when he's when he's smiling, there's not a better smile in the Premier League. And uh, he's just an unstoppable player when he's like this. Dave, somebody on on the uh, Virgin Media commentary team was trying to question whether or not that was actually a pass for Sadio. I, I honestly, God, um, I, I, the deliberate touch there with the outside of the foot yeah. is just so beautiful. And you know, he he's also then within two minutes of the goal and his contribution to Sadio's goal, he's. Um, uh, basically re- being brilliant along with Sadio, g- g- getting Sadio playing within two minutes and Fabinho ends up taking a long shot. Um, Henderson has a long shot uh, after some great work by Sadio who come alive now because of the presence of Bobby. Um, on 53 minutes, there was a great ball from Mo into Henderson. He fluffed it. Um, 54, another dangerous ball from Mo this time into Bobby Firmino. He couldn't quite get himself together there. Mo was amazing and then switched on and alert and looking brighter because of Bobby Firmino. He is, as Carl says, so vital. He's the glue. He's this um, focal point. And he's really purring at the moment. It's lovely to see. He's the system. He's the whole system. All wrapped up in one body of Brazilian madness. He's just phenomenal. Like He comes on the pitch today and he's like, right, when we don't have the ball, I'm going playing centre midfield. It's me and Fab, and you two cart horses fuck off out and support the fullbacks. And then when we get the ball, I'm going to go up front and I'm going to cause all kinds of mayhem. And they're not going to know how to pick me up. And they couldn't. They couldn't find him. At one point, the camera panned to Christensen, and he was literally just looking around trying to find Firmino, because Bobby just gone wandering back into midfield and was making things link for us. And we were finally able to pass the ball out of our defence into midfield and then get it on to the attack, which was just a whole new concept compared to the first half. But, Carl, I mean, <laughs> Dave's right. The absolute state of, of Jürgen there with his, uh, with his, with his uh, running style, he was leaving lads in his wake. Uh, he, he was very determined to get to Adrian first, wasn't he? Well, clearly Klopp hadn't uh, covered 12.8 kilometres during the match or whatever it was. I think, some, point, of them just, I think some of them were just done. Um, also, I don't know if you guys have heard, I suppose by the time people are listening to this podcast, they certainly will have done, but Jürgen gave a big rocky moment in his yeah. post-match interview on TV. <laughs> only Jürgen, literally only Jürgen could get away with an Adrian moment like that. That is fantastic. Was he asked to do it? No. No, of course he wasn't. It was just, flapple, just like flapple. after the Champions League final when he just burst into song then as well, oh, didn't he? Oh man, that's amazing. So I, I'm glad it was spontaneous. We started well. Then we dropped too deep. We could talk about football, but it makes no sense tonight. Um, but it's really early in the season. It was already our third competitive game without a preseason. So we have to fight, eh? and the boys did tonight, and so all good. I've got to pick out one individual because we talked about him being thrown in the deep end before the match. Adrian, big night for him. He really, he really enjoyed himself. What a story! <laughs> Adrian, like Rocky. After the flight back from Turkey with their fourth Super Cup added to the famous Champions Wall at Anfield, it was another away day on the South Coast to face Southampton at St Mary Stadium. In their first episode of the season, Trevor Downey hosts Jan Mulby for On The Spot. Looking at our start of the campaign, reactions to it and the difficulty of facing Manchester City and the likelihood of Klopp leaving in 2022. 
we can touch on maybe some of the issues around our own uh, lads at the moment. Um, but there, there were several talking points arising from the win over Southampton at the weekend. And again, Jan, it seems to be the feature of this season uh, so far is the whole idea of um, a two-halved performance as opposed to a, an entire 90 minutes. And we, we did it again at the weekend. It was fairly abysmal stuff in the first half. Um, and honestly, I think they probably had the better of it. We, re- we required our man in net to make some great saves. He also uh, gave a little signal in the first half as to the silly mistake he was going to make in the second. Uh, so it's a kind of a sign of a fellow not learning his lessons, which is a bit worrying. We'll get to all of these issues. But just in terms of that overall thing the way i've heard it uh sort of justified to me so far is that look uh the coaching staff have said we're nowhere near our peak fitness yet uh a lot of lads have very disjointed summers um once we're getting the wins it doesn't really matter and this is what you need to expect at this stage of the season so for the the anxious out there would you say that that's rational approach to explaining the uh sort of Jekyll and Hyde performances so far? I hope so. I, I, I sort of decided that when we were going to talk about Liverpool this season, the, the only thing I could really bring to the table was that currently I don't particularly like what I'm seeing, uh, but the results are good. And I can't quite put my finger on where, where we go wrong. Uh, there's some individuals playing really, really well, and then there's some people who haven't started. Uh, but my bigger concern is, of course, that we aren't necessarily about we have been very much a team for the last two years and, and there's something not quite right. Uh, obviously, I didn't see Monday Night Football on Sky, uh, but I do believe that they tried to analyse and they were trying to analyse Liverpool's high line and whether we're playing offside or not. I, I would find it amazing if, if, if we were playing offside. I mean, holding a line and playing offside is two entirely different things. Uh, so, I'm not quite sure... Uh, privately, when I watch the games, and I only watch Southampton Liverpool uh, Monday morning. I'm, I'm quite critical of our midfield players. Uh, I think our midfield players are, are, are sort of, in my opinion, letting us down going forward and defending. Uh, so I think we're kind of stuck in between. I know there's an awful lot of criticism coming our defence's way at the moment. Obviously, criticised the goalkeeper. People are criticising Trent, uh, which I sort of understand. Trent hasn't defended well for for a little while now. Uh, and, and also on Saturday in Southampton, his delivery, it's like, you know, what we call in the, in, in, in the trade, uh, Trevor, he's, he's shuffling shit at the moment. You know, he's, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, yeah. I, I'm talking about his, his passing and his crossing. It's like, you know, they're, they're the kind of things you say to your players, you go, stop shuffling fucking shit. And that's what he's doing <laughs> at the moment. So, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So, but I'm not 100% convinced either that, our back four is getting enough support and cover to that we can just point the finger and say we're not defending well. I just keep coming back to the midfield, but I'm not quite sure what it is in, in, in the midfield area that's not quite working. Maybe it is just individuals who hasn't quite got their energy um, to do what we normally do. Yeah, and, and, and last season, I think those skew things a bit because they were so excellent. I mean, I think the current stat is that Liverpool have lost one, one time in their last 41 Premier League fixtures, and that that is a that is a stunning statistic in and of itself. And you know, I said in the immediate aftermath on 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 Raw. I'd be interested to hear what you think. 
you know, someone was saying about the Adrian mistake and then somebody else was saying about, um, you know, the game against Arsenal is a massive game. And I, I became aware that everything, everything, every incident in every match, um, every mistake made within a game and every game itself is built up to the point of frenzy now. Yeah. And, 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 yeah, and you can't blame people because no. the only reason that's happening, Kenny Dalglish got to 300 points in 150 games. Jürgen's done at 146. But Kenny was winning league titles left, right and centre. And the, 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 the difference is, with all due respect to the sides that you played in, there was probably not an opponent as, you know, horrifically strong as Manchester City. And so that sort of pushes everything up to a level of hysteria because everyone assumes they're not going to make any mistakes. Now, we had a lovely, joyous moment of watching them slip up at the weekend. We'll talk about that later. But it's because of their excellence and because of their strength that it is a frenzy of, of hysteria. Every mistake, everything is ramped up to tabloid levels. And it's almost, it's kind of fair, really, because that's what happens when you're up against such opposition, right? You, you look at the two squads. So you go one to 11, and you can make up your own mind. But it's not unfair to say that if you just pick one to 11, some people would have six City players and then five Liverpool players, and others would have more Liverpool players than City or whatever. But in terms of the starting 11, for a lot of people, I think it would be fairly even. But then you look beyond number 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. City are better in almost every one of those positions. I'm talking about the ones who don't start in the starting 11. So that gives you an indication of the challenge you're up against. Uh, and that, with, and, that, and that's, what our best, uh, that's what our best squad ever. We spoke last yeah, week exactly. about the strength of the bench. Exactly. So, you know, it's, so that yeah. gives you an idea, doesn't it, Seth? How hard is this? This is fucking hard. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, it really is. It kind of brings me to something I didn't really want to talk about until the end of the show, but it's, it's relevant now um, because that era, you'd imagine it's quite dependent on on, on, on Big Jürgen being around. Yeah. However, yeah. You, you've, you've read these quotes or you've heard these quotes where he's talking to um, at the Sport Build Award. He, he picked up Manager of the Year in his in his own country, which is quite a remarkable thing when you think yes, about it. Yes, that is remarkable. Yeah. And he says, uh, I hope to continue like this, but within two, three years, I don't know what may happen. Maybe I'll retire. That doesn't mean it'll happen, but if it does, don't be surprised. That's the end of the quote. Now, we all know Jürgen's capable of being playful. I'd like to have seen the interview rather than just read the words because he could have had a big smile on his face. But that will have that will have put the wind up a lot of Liverpool fans when they're thinking about establishing this era because it is potentially a golden era. Yeah, and it's very reliant uh, on, on, on the manager being part of it. Uh, but I think we've discussed it before, Trevor. I mean, his contract runs out in, in the summer of 2022. I, I just have a feeling that, that that might be the end. I actually spoke to one of the best connected uh, reporters, Paul Joyce. And uh, the first thing Joyce said to me, we've got to win it while he's here. And I went, why do you say that? He says, well, you know, he says, I think he's quite open to an improved contract, but in terms of, of it being a longer contract, Joyce wasn't so sure, you know. So it just keeps getting me back to, uh, uh, is that what we're looking at? Are we looking at 2022 20, to summer, which is just just three seasons, you know? So that, that could very well be it. If that is the case, of course, we've got long enough to try and prepare ourselves for time without Club and either put an awful lot of good things into to, to place. 
but but you are also relying on 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 players, isn't it? So it's very difficult. I mean, if I had said to you ten years ago, once Gerard and Gallagher are no longer with us, what do you think? And you'd have gone, Phew, I, 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 it'd be my worst nightmare. Uh, you know, what do we do when Gerard and Gallagher is no longer there? Look at where we are now, isn't it? So it it, it is possible to be absolutely the same with with, with Jurgen Klopp, but. There's so much more to Jurgen Klopp than just him being an excellent coach and a very good manager. There's just something. It's a bit like, why is the team playing the way it is? I'm not too sure. What is it with Klopp? I'm not too sure. I can give you a lot of reasons why I think it is. I'm not quite sure why the connection is there, but the connection is there. And that connection is so very important at our football club. It was back to Anfield, this time welcoming Arsenal, who, like Liverpool, had started the season with consecutive victories and a 100% record. Needs help, Svens. Good ball. Back to Fabino. Good early ball yeah. by Fabino. Salah picks it up. Ah. Oh, he's turned David Luiz inside out. Mo Salah into the area. Mo Salah clean through. Yeah! Dave, despite some fairly intense narrative spinning by the likes of uh, Tyler and Neville and Carragher and Jeff Shreves, we just heard there in a post-match interview with Jurgen Klopp, that was nothing less than a comprehensive, total and psychologically massive win for the Reds, in my opinion. Liverpool really, really controlled that game very, very well. And yeah, Arsenal did have a couple of good chances and maybe things could have gone a little bit differently in the first half. But there was a period from the beginning of the second half until about, but whenever Milner came on, was that about 70? Yeah, 70, where we just absolutely dominated them and we were wiping the floor with them. Um, The Milner substitution was clearly, uh, you know, we're taking what we have here and we're just going to run this one out. Um, But for for about that 21, 22 minutes between halftime and when Milner came on, we absolutely destroyed them. And it, it, Neville, to his credit, did say this is just a vast golfing class. There's no other way to describe this. This is just one team who are much, much better than the other. And that's how it was. One of the key features and unique selling points of AI Pro is the pressing stats collected by Gags and then the data analysis done by Dan Kennett. The Arsenal game was a prime example of the extra insight this work can offer. Um, yeah, so we're literally um, about the 98th percentile in that first 15 minutes, still in, well in top of the red zone um, between between 16 and 30 minutes as well. All this, obviously, all this at nil nil, and and then we and we, it's only towards the end of the match where we, you know, after three nil, where we where we where we ease off, which is which is kind of nice to see actually, you know, in terms of the long season ahead and stuff like that. But it's an incredibly intense papa chart. But the the main stories coming out of the pressing. Is, is is what Arsenal's game plan did to the to the to the data and to our pressing. It's we've never seen such high pressing as this. Um, it's broken literally every record that we, we we've got in your data. So yeah. do, you want to, do you want me to go through them? Go for it, mate. Because honestly, this is the bit where I this is this is where I lose it because I say, how can a plan be called a good plan when when it's playing into the opposition's hands? <laughs> To get me, I mean, <laughs> how can it be a good plan? So, 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 I mean, sometimes they can say that you can you can manage to turn an opposition strength into a weakness if you fought, you know, you know, but to use a cricket analogy, that you're feeding somebody's best shot, and then you know, and, and then eventually they're going, you know, they're going to club one straight to a fielder or something like that. 
No, but I just I, I agree with you. I don't see how how you can praise them for having a, a good setup. Um, so the first thing is is that just the proportion of the pressing is high. We've got the pressing dashboard showing. Remember last week we showed the lowest one of the lowest ever um, figures for you know the highest ever figures in the low zone just in front of the back four or pressing. Well, this is one of the highest ever figures we've seen in the in the in the in the in the high zone. Yeah. Um, so fifty nine percent of all the pressing was high in this match. That's higher than any other match last season. The highest was 58% versus Bayern. Um, 141 high presses in this game. And that's the most ever in terms of volume. Bayern was 135. Chelsea away in the league last season was 131. And 58 high central presses. That's the most ever. And the, the City 4-3, that was 53 high central presses. This was 58. Um, and at 0-0, we had 105 presses at 0-0. Uh, when we had 21 separate possession wins, including one leading to a shot. But of those 105, 72 were in the high zone, which is 69%. 69% of all pressing was high. It, it's just insane. And I put the into the live chat. Them. Yeah, I, I put into the live chat the first 41 minutes of the match and the average pressing position. It's it's like, you've never seen anything like it, have it's you? The formation. <laughs> you got Trent. Trent's right. Robbo's left, Mane and Salah are either side of the of the box, yeah. and then <laughs> and literally then everybody, everybody else is, is, is in the centre of the Arsenal half. So, so first minute, second minute, let's say one minute and seven seconds. The first counter from a press was after a bloody minute and seven seconds. Rosie, Fab and Hendo, guess who they got the ball off? There's only one guy, Tobias. So right? So because he had an absolute fucking mare first half. So lovely football after winning it. Uh, in the first minute, the team, you know, ready to counter these boys and that shite plan, in my opinion. They win it back from Sabayas, who else? They played to Trent, then Bobby, to, then Matip to Robbo. All this is one touch, really fast football in the middle. Ping, ping, ping. Out it goes to Robbo, who's just racing down that left-hand side. And it's literally, like, inches away from Bobby tapping it in. Literally. Now, it's an opportunity. It's, it's what we call opportunity, right? We always talk about these, Rodzi, and we talk and we and we always say we're going to try and put. We can't weigh them because there's no shot. But what we can do ourselves is at least include it in the analysis to say, had that gone in, because we're talking about everybody talks about Arsenal's big chances. Had it done this or had it done that, then let's talk about ours. Had it gone in, that whole game plan would have been fucked up in what in sixty seven seconds. Touches in the box, ridiculously huge. 47 for us, 11 to Arsenal. That's burning levels of um, touches in the box difference, sorry. Um, And the non-penalty XG, so you can add on 0.75 if you want to this, but it's 1.86 to Liverpool, so that's all non-penalty chances and 0.84 to Arsenal. Um, So good. The issue is the shot quality, by far the worst of the season. I know it's only three games. I think it's the worst for about 10 games, 0.07 for us. Our average last season was 0.12, and Arsenal's was 0.99. Sorry, I just just knocked my Star Wars um, Dark Knight before. That wasn't intentional. I wasn't trying to fucking choke anybody. Sorry. That's brilliant. I thought we'd have to someone. No, no. Dan was getting angry at the shot quality. <laughs> Firmino, stop taking black shots. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. Oh, hilarious. There was like, there was loads. 
<laughs> Liverpool Twitter afterwards, the game was quite entertaining actually because there's loads of people um talk there was there was there was people doing combined elevens before the match wasn't there and there was people who was put Willock <laughs> and Shabayas and combined the left <laughs> on the basis ahead of, of Fabinho ahead of Fabinho <laughs> oh my word who was I mean, it was it was it Steve Nichol it was no no oh, it was Nolan Nolan Kevin Nolan oh my word like isn't he a scouser as well. Yeah, yeah, Liverpool fan actually as well. Yeah, crazy, crazy. I man. guess that I guess that he might have put it in, and they've gone. You know, you can't just put one out, one or two Arsenal players in. Got to have another at least. <laughs> Will <laughs> fucking yeah. what a pillock. I mean, anyway, we'll, <laughs> we'll move on. Um... <laughs> Jan Mulby, after the victory over the Gunners, reflected on his discussions with Roy Evans and the need for players to believe in their own ability. So, belief in a, it's. You know, is it arrogance? Is it belief? Pick whatever phrase you uh, you like. But, but when Roy Evans became the manager, we spoke in, in, in depth about things like that. And, and he was massively into the belief he wanted to install into the younger players because Roy was there with the sort of, in brackets, spice boys, wasn't he? And he said, I, I want to install belief in them, but not arrogance. And it was always a fine balance with that group of players. And he, and, and he worked really hard in... in keeping their feet on the ground, but being also confident in their own ability without being arrogant. And as I said before, it was a fine balance with that group of players because sometimes when they played really well, I felt they could be a little disrespectful to the opposition. So it was something that, and, and, and you know, the manager Roy is, is not a disrespect, disrespectful man. So it's a fine balance. We don't have a problem with this, this group of players. That Their, their belief is, is unbelievable, but there's no arrogance. And there don't have to be any arrogance if you know if you're not surprised yourself at what you're capable of, then there's no need to be arrogant about it. This is this is what I do. It's like a good joiner, a good plumber. They, they, they know how good they are. They know how valuable they are. And the last man I want to just take a moment to look at is uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, pr- particularly because of the fact that I think his assist was uh, his fifth in each of the last five home games. And I think it's nine uh, assists in ten and field appearances now. Um, and the reason I point that out is because there were some um, deep and profound points of analysis being made by some lads you'll know well, um, some comparatively recently retired ex-pros, who I'm sure you rub shoulders with in the various commentary booths and, and, and pundit, pundit that's circles. A, that's, the thing. that's the thing, Trevor. I see all these boys, you know, I work with them, and uh, all these boys I've seen, leading up to the season. And they all go to a man almost, oh, it's going to be City season and it's going to be more comfortable than last year. And I'm going, what are you basing that on? We're yeah. going to beat 42 games at home. We now won 12 on the bounce. We took 97 points. What are you basing all that on? You know, I just don't get it. Sorry. Anyway, go on. No, I, I, that, you're pretty much you're pretty much underlying the point that I was making, which is, you know, they they were there was some you know like I say profound analysis about how Liverpool's attack uh, attack plan is basically get Trent and Robbo on the ball. Well, yeah, fair play. Uh, Arsenal, I think, played into our hands a little bit with their midfield structure. Um, the last do, do you think it would have been any better if Arsenal would have stressed their midfield? I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I said it before to you, Trevor, I don't think they had a defensive, they don't have a defensive structure in that squad where they can go and go to toe to toe with the best teams. They always have to go on a wing and a prayer. And that's exactly what they did on Saturday. So they decided, keep compact centrally and let the fullback cross the balls. And we hope, which the centre-half did for 30 odd minutes. 
they headed and kicked everything away, but eventually it gave away. But I just don't think Arsenal, there will be other teams who's got a defensive structure, but Arsenal don't. So I don't care how they would have set up that team, they, we would have found weaknesses in their play, out wide, through the middle, wherever. At the end of the month, Nina Kauza hosted Media Matters with Guardian journalist Sachin Nakrani, and then Euro Incision alongside Bundesliga expert Jonathan Harding to look back at the start of the season. The roasting hot cop, the infamous Eric Cantona speech, and the Champions League draw for Liverpool. I want to get your thoughts on, you know, the the contribution of Adrian because it was actually a really, really difficult time. He pretty much it was like a Craig David song. He signed on a Monday and he's practically playing <laughs> on on a Friday. You know, like he's never been able to like settle in or you know, he probably thought he's going to have as much involvement in that game as maybe you sat in cop three or five or wherever you were sat. Right, and he's yeah. literally stripped down. He's having to play football. Yeah, I mean, when 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 Allison went off and and Adrian was coming on in that game, I think I don't know what the score was at the time. We were probably two 0 three 0 up at that stage, yeah. weren't we? But yes. I did think, oh, here we go. The second place curse is well and truly kicking in. Uh, you know, I don't know if you're aware, but Liverpool every time we finish second in the Premier League era, the following seasons be a disaster. And I thought, here we go. Already the season is unraveling for us. The curse has started again. Um, he did pretty fine in that game and obviously his first start was a Super Cup so his first start and he gets a trophy in between his fingers so that's pretty pretty great for him I mean you kind of touched on the Arsenal game there so you know what we're, we're going to go there I think probably you were at the game I was at the game I was sat in the humid mm. cop it you know it was quite unpleasant you know people didn't smell the best <laughs> Just it was really hot, wasn't it? It I was, was disgusting it was literally yeah. the worst conditions I've ever felt my hair oh my god had a life of its own, like humidity just got the better of it. But I mean, speak to me about the conditions. <laughs> well, we had this in the Norwich game. I've done the two home games this season. Nor- Norwich was actually worse, oddly, even though it was later at oh, night. Gosh. So you think it'd be a bit cooler. Mm. But um, I know a couple of guys who went down about 20 minutes into the Norwich game from the cop into the concourse just because they couldn't stand the heat. There's something going on with the heat around the cop. It's obviously we've had two very warm evenings at Anfield, which is obviously it's the summer, you know, it's August. Uh, but they do feel particularly warm. And I, d- I just don't think a lot of air is circulating around there. I don't want to sound, I know it's just first world problems. If you listen to this, go, God, you're moaning about being in the cop, watching Liverpool score loads of goals and win games. But there is, it's been like the, the lads I go to the match with, it's been kind of the thing by the game. It's the first thing everyone says is, God, it's really hot in the cop, isn't it? We're like, yeah, it's just roasting. Um, so it's interesting that you, yeah, you, you touched on it as well. You, you felt it as well. I think everyone did. Oh, it was gross. It was absolutely gross. I thought, yeah, people were just moving towards the staircase, you know, like to the steps, because they just could not handle just being in that close proximity to another person. Yeah. It's just been great. Yeah, it's just been great. It very, very been. good time to support Liverpool at the moment. It really is. And uh, and I'm sure covering them as well. I think as well, what's really helped, and you know, it's it's quite a nice little touch. Is it must be so nice on a psychological from a psychological. Um, perspective you know to be European champions as well you know to bring Mm. that you know to bring that confidence and those positive vibes that you know you you actually won something huge at the end of last season and obviously that's the kind of momentum that kind of keeps players going and certainly players like Jordan Henderson because you know that's probably the first big bit of silverware that he's won you know and he he did it being captain of Liverpool you know six times you know he's made history I mean that's just gonna sort of you know propel him to you know to be even better and be even greater. And I think, you know, that I like the fact that you kind of touched that he's better in an advanced role. And I think, you know, Fabinho has really solved a lot of conundrums for Jurgen Klopp in terms of mm. midfield. No, absolutely. I totally agree. On the, on the European Champions thing, it just gives... 
it must fill the players with a huge amount of kind of self-confidence and, and a real swagger. When they go on the pitch, they, they're the European champions and they know the other team are going to be coward by playing against them. You know, if, you know, it's, it's interesting how amount of times the opposition, you know, pre-match press conferences, the other team to refer to the fact that they're playing the European champions. And when I was listening to this, this Arsenal podcast, which was a post uh, match podcast after the, after they played us on, on Saturday, you know, the, the amount of times they refer to the fact that, you know, we went to the, you know, went to the home of the European champions and gave them a decent game. And, you know, it's, it's a phenomenal state to start. It's something we should absolutely milk this season because, you know, we may not have it next year. So let's absolutely milk it this year. And, yeah, absolutely feed, I think it must feed into the players and give them a real sense of belief that, that you know, every game they go into, they are, the be- they are better than the opposition. The only time they may feel, not inferior, but they may feel they've got real game in their hands is when they play City. But literally every other game, they must think we're the Champions of Europe, we are better than the team we're playing. And that must instill them with a belief. And that's possibly why they have scored late in in, in both the Southampton and first half of the Southampton game and the um, Arsenal game. They just keep going the way United did in the 90s. The, the amount of times United in the 90s would get a goal late in the first half or obviously late in the second Made half. Made me sick. Yeah, well, it's ruined our lives, didn't it? And, 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 and but, but it gives you get that from the belief of winning big trophies. And... and you know, even in the Super Cup, you know, Liverpool one nil down at half time. They stank the place up. It was absolutely awful that first yeah. half. They, you know, they're probably quite relaxed in the dressing room after. I think, look, we've got this. You know, we're a good team. We'll, we'll get we'll get a goal. Start the second half, bang, they score and they're back in the running again. So, yeah, that European Cup in itself was obviously a great achievement, but it has given. It feels like it's given the, the players a real boost of confidence, self confidence, self belief going into this new season as well. I think we've got to kind of just briefly just talk about the whole show in terms of the Champions League draw I mean like it's so farcical but um, Eric Cantona is just <laughs> a gift that keeps on giving yeah I mean Cantona's speech <laughs> I, honestly I just want to put it out there I completely understood him I got him uh, yeah I mean I think <laughs> for a lot of people in the crowd who don't speak English or haven't studied Shakespeare, because I think it's obviously a reference, uh, it's a quote from King Lear. Um, if if you hadn't, if you didn't know that, or, you know, you might think, God, how much has he had to drink before he got onto the stage? Or, you know, what's he, what's he up to now? What's he talking about? Actually, he's just really smart. And, uh, you know, what he's talking about is, is actually not that far away from, from, prophesizing about where football is going in the future. He might have done it in an extremely philosophical way uh, by by referencing uh, Shakespeare, but I don't think um, we would have wanted it any other way from Eric Cantona, to be honest with you. And to finish it with, I love, I love football. football. Yeah, you. just fucking brilliant. Yeah, Which is really, yeah, it was the, the icing on the cake. I will say that I thought it was, whoever was the cameraman, um, when he said, only accidents, crimes, wars, and when the word crimes was uttered, I, I don't know why the camera panned to Ronaldo <laughs> and Messi. But I thought that was very interesting um, because on one aspect, we're looking at the best two best players in the world or two uh, players considered the best players in the world. And yet both players have committed crimes. Um, you know, so I thought that was also quite interesting. And I... I it sounded so sad, his voice, Cantona, you know. It was almost like he wishes he was still playing or he wishes that football wasn't going in a certain direction. Or he wishes United weren't so shit. Well, I think a lot of people think that, but I'm sure not many of the people listening to this show have a problem <laughs> with that being the case. Okay, first things first. I think 
John, we've got to go to Group E, Liverpool podcast. Liverpool, Napoli, Salzburg and Genk. I mean, I personally am quite happy with that, given the fact that, you know, the congestion of the fixtures now for Liverpool, the fact that they didn't really have a transfer window, it's going to be quite beneficial to Klopp because last season he did have quite a tough group in Paris Saint-Germain, of course, us. And we had Napoli as well. You know, those were the three sort of um, the big teams, if you will. Or, you know, um, your thoughts on the group and, um, you know, will Jurgen Klopp, I mean, could it be problematic that we have it quite easy on paper? I think it's a good group for Liverpool. Um, I think it's similar to the one that you had last year, but you don't necessarily have that intense away day. Obviously, you know, other than... than, um, Napoli, because I think which that is the is, first game as well, which is yeah, good. but that's good exactly because you can get it out of the way and you sort of either if if that doesn't go well and you don't hit the ground running, then you've given yourself enough time to recover. I think the gank haven't been very good. I think that's six points in the bag there. Um, and if you know watch them um, in the Europa League last year, I think I think they were in yeah. I don't think um, they're going to pose any problems. Salzburg's an interesting one. They don't have Marco Rosa anymore. He's their head coach is now uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach in the Bundesliga. So it'll be interesting to see how they adjust. Um, obviously, it's not really a homecoming for Naby Keita, but he did. And Sadio Mane as well. Yeah, and Sadio Mane, absolutely. Mm. They both did play for that side in the past. So uh, it will be interesting to see, I guess, how Salzburg prepare for those two players, considering how much they will know about them. Um, I think in both cases, though, Genk and Salzburg you know, those are games that Liverpool have to be looking to win, especially with Salzburg having moved on from Marco Rosa, their, their coach who I uh, and his staff. I think um, there are quite a lot of people at that club who thought highly of him and I think there are high expectations for him at Gladbach. So, yeah, I, I think really it's the, the Napoli game, um, especially the away one that will decide uh, how, how Liverpool sit at the end of the group stage. But again, I think it's really important and I'm sure Liverpool fans... Maybe some Liverpool fans won't have a problem with this, but I think many, uh, not many, but I think few will, is that Liverpool need to be taken in a different context now. You've won the Champions League. You are now, uh, and if you ultimately, you could, argue, you could argue that they were the season before, even though they didn't win it. You are now one of the best teams in Europe. Um, and that's not just with your Liverpool fan hat on saying, yeah, we're a great team, we're going to beat anybody. That is a legitimate statement. Um, you absolutely are. You've been in back-to-back Champions League finals. You won the last one that you were in. You um, you lost one game. And, you know, in the self-proclaimed toughest league in the world, that's a great statement, you know. And you, I think that's the thing that you've got to take with Liverpool. This is not the Liverpool of, two, of 2000. Um, you know, this is not the Liverpool where you're like, oh, are they, I don't know. You know, is it going to be Steve Finnan and Jimmy Traore? Is it going to be how are we going to look in this team? Is it you know is it going to be Bruno Sheru in midfield? You know, is it those... going to be Borini, Lambert, and Balotelli? Yeah. You know that even, wasn't even so the... long ago, people. Exactly, even even closer to the present. Absolutely, those names are the same um, in terms of how different Liverpool are right now. Um, yeah, and so I think if that if that's the way you're thinking about Liverpool, this is Liverpool top of the group with maybe only one game that they don't win, and that's the Napoli away game, which they may draw or lose. That's the kind of dominance. Of course, it's always difficult to keep it up over an extended period of time. But I think the way that they were in the summer and the fact they didn't really buy anyone tells a quite uh, an honest story of where Jurgen Klopp sees this team. He thinks this team is, is at its peak. 
there are not many areas that need improving, if at all, in this team. So, top of the group, anything other than that would be an enormous surprise. Podcast Network.